0: Okay, anyone, anyone been to the store this week? Anyone been to the store this week? I don't know if it's me, but have you found how amazing it is how stores can switch from one holiday to the next so quickly? It was like Kroger's Sunday afternoon had all of the Easter stuff on clearance, all of the candy, all of the eggs, little hair stuff that's in the Easter baskets, and they already had all the pool noodles and the sunscreen, all that kind of stuff out. And this week I also went by the new store by Target Pop Shelf. Anyone been to that one? It's like a Dollar General and Target had a baby. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's kind of a cool store. And so they had, they had all sorts of stuff like 4th of July and Memorial Day. And they're like, hey, you know what? Summer's coming. It's here. And I didn't get a chance to go to Hobby Lobby, but, but you already know Hobby Lobby. It's like Halloween in there. Or maybe even the Christmas section is there. I mean, the store's know what comes after Easter, they know what to do next, and they transition quickly. And even in our own lives, I mean, we, we kind of know once Easter has passed, what to do. I mean, many people this week uh, went on spring break because it was spring break for the school system. So people know it's Easter, then it's spring break. Maybe you didn't get a spring break, but you're thinking about summer vacation. And so you're, you're go ahead and you're like, okay, Easter's gone, summer's coming, let me get my vacation booked. We start thinking about everything ahead and doing spring cleaning and getting our lawn equipment ready because as, as people of faith, rightfully so, I mean, we anticipate Easter with the season of Lent, right? We, we prepare, we get ready for it, we celebrate Easter with the amazing celebration we had last week. And then once Easter is over, we, we kind of know what to do next. Easter isn't that surprising and it's not that shocking for us as people today. And so sometimes we can forget how on that very first Easter, that it was a complete shock and it was a complete surprise. And the disciples, they weren't waiting around ready for Jesus to just jump out of the tomb. Like sometimes we, we think. I mean, I mean, they were grieving. They were mourning. They thought Jesus was, was dead because dead people don't usually come back to life. And, and so that very first Easter, when they encountered the risen Christ... Like we talked about last Sunday, everything changed. As we sang about, their, their mourning turned into to dancing, their tears turned into joy. Everything changed. But I don't know if you've ever realized this in, in the Gospels. Like when Jesus rose from the grave, especially right afterwards, like he didn't give them a lot of instructions. All they knew is that, that everything had changed, a dead man had risen from the grave, that Jesus was who he said he was. But there was still some uncertainty about what to do in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, and in the months ahead. I mean, Mary Magdalene, she heard from Jesus and from the angels. Jesus said, hey, I'm going ahead of y'all to Galilee. I'm going ahead of y'all, meet me there. And so the disciples knew, okay, we we need to eventually make it there, but they didn't know exactly what to do. And when when you don't know what to do and you know everything's changed, but you're not sure what the future holds, I mean, it can be kind of scary, right? It can be kind of scary. There's a lot of uncertainty. What does this mean for us and for our life? And so what do you do when you don't know what to do? A lot of us go back to what's familiar. When you don't know what to do, a lot of times, if you're in a season of life where things are shifting around you, you you go home. You talk to your parents. You You reconnect with old friends. When you don't know what to do, you do things that are familiar and so after the disciples began encountering the risen Christ, that's what a lot of them did. And in John chapter 21, as we wrap up our series we've been in on the Gospel of John this morning, that's where we find some of the disciples. Simon Peter, uh, the beloved disciple John, and some others, they're up near the Sea of Galilee where they're from. And what are they doing? They're doing what they're familiar with. They're fishing. So in John 21, we, we pick up on this story where the disciples, they're fishing. They've been out all night in a boat fishing, which would have been typical. You catch it at night and then sell it at market in the morning. They've been fishing all night long, and they're starting to come into shore, and they hadn't caught anything. And so they're pulling onto shore, and there's a guy over here who's on the shore a little ways away from them, and the guy shouts at them, you caught anything? And now anybody a fisherman in here, you know how people do that to you? And it's, it's very annoying when you haven't caught anything. But everybody always wants to know, hey, you caught anything? It's like, is there a fish here? No, there's not a fish here, okay? I haven't caught anything. And so if I were the disciples, I would have been kind of annoyed by this, this person at the seashore shouting, did you catch anything? And But they're like, no, we didn't. You know, they were nice to the guy. And then the guy says, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? Which also would have been annoying to me because... If I had been fishing all night, uh, I would have already tried that probably. But the the disciples, they're like, you know, whatever. We've already tried everything else. Might as well throw our nets in, see if anything happens, put a little more effort in. And and so they throw their nets in and they pull them up and the nets are about to overflow. The nets are full of fish. It it, It is a miraculous catch of fish. And at that moment, the beloved disciple, he realizes who the man is. It's Jesus. Just like Mary Magdalene in the garden encountered Jesus, thought he was the gardener at first, but but then she came to fully understand who he was. That's how it was in this moment. They thought it was a random guy. Then they realize it's Jesus. And so picking up in the story in John chapter 21, here's what we find. As soon as Simon Peter heard him, the beloved disciple, say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. They were about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And so Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. If you remember back to Jesus' first miracle in John turning water into wine, and the abundance of wine that he made. Here we have an abundance of fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to him, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said it to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me, follow me. And now, these words Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me, are actually the same words he said to him a few years back, if you remember, when he was fishing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so here, years later, Jesus is is giving him that same invitation follow me. But in between the first time Jesus said, follow me, and in between this time of him saying, follow me, a lot has happened in their life together. I mean, Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother in law. Simon Peter's been walking with Jesus, he's been following him, he's been hearing the parables. And asking lots of questions about what, what Jesus meant through his preaching and his teaching. He has seen Jesus do miraculous things. He's seen the transfiguration. And when Jesus asked that famous question, who do people say that I am? Simon Peter answered correctly. He said, you are the Christ. The Son of of the living God. Simon Peter, even since then, he, he told Jesus, he said, "Jesus, look, I'm, I'm willing to even die for you, to lay down my very life for you." I mean, they have been doing life together. They've had this relationship together. There has been some beautiful and some amazing moments together. But you might also remember what else has happened since that time. You might also remember a, another fire that Simon Peter stood around. When Jesus was being mocked, when he was in the midst of a sham trial, when he was being slapped, when Jesus was on the way to the cross, Simon Peter wasn't with him. Instead, Simon Peter was standing around another charcoal fire, and when he was asked if he was a follower of Jesus, you know what he said? He said, no, 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 not not me. Not me. He denied Jesus not once. Not twice, but he denied Jesus three times. He denied Jesus three times, and he not only denied Jesus, he also denied even even knowing Jesus, even knowing who Jesus was. And so you can imagine here as they're eating breakfast on the beach, this breakfast of broiled fish. It sounds good, doesn't it, this morning? You know, they're eating breakfast on... The beach, Jesus here, Simon Peter over here. I mean, you, you can imagine that there was a little awkwardness between the two of them. You can imagine there's a little awkwardness as, as Simon Peter is thinking, This is it. This is the conversation. This is the one I've been waiting on. I know, like, Jesus is going to give it to me, he, he's going to scold me for. For denying him, he, he's gonna kind of judge me. Like I got, I got to apologize. Like this is it, you know how you dread those conversations. And he's, he's probably thinking, you know what? I know, like Jesus, he he's done with me. He can't, he can't use someone like me. He's thinking about like, you know, what's next? What comes after the resurrection? And he's thinking, whatever it is, I, I can't be a part of it because of my failure. He's sitting there thinking all of that, but but Jesus doesn't say any of those things to him. Instead, around that second fire, we see Jesus drawing near to him. We see this beautiful scene of reunion and reconciliation. And, And we see Jesus actually saying, no, Simon Peter, it's not what you think, like actually... I want you to be a part of the mission. I want you to be a part of what's to come in this next season. And if you notice in their, in their dialogue, Jesus doesn't say to Simon Peter, I love you. Did, you. did you realize that? He doesn't say to Simon Peter, I love you, because Jesus' love was actually never in question. I don't think Simon Peter ever questioned Jesus' love. He had seen the extent of Jesus' love as Jesus' hands were outstretched on the cross. Simon Peter knew Jesus had laid down his very life for him, for the disciples, for the entire world. Simon Peter knew how much Jesus loved him. The question was, did Simon Peter love Jesus? And so he asked him once. He asked him twice. And you know on that third time, he, he was thinking... About the first time he denied Jesus, the second time he denied him. And and then when Jesus asked the third time, you know he connected of what was going on here. And he kept saying to Jesus, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus could see his heart. Jesus did know that Simon Peter loved him. And so what Jesus did is Jesus said to this guy who had failed miserably... This guy who was broken, this guy who was experiencing a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, this guy who thought he was he was disqualified from being part of God's family and God's mission, Jesus says to him, No, I have a very important role for you. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to help lead my flock. We looked at Jesus when he said, I am the good shepherd. And here he He's saying, Simon Peter, I want you to be an under-shepherd. I want you to be under me, but I want you to help take care of my followers in the days and in the years to come. And so when he's telling them this, Jesus also basically says to them, Hey, you know when you told me you were willing to die for me? Jesus says to him, It's kind of a it's kind of a cryptic verse here. It's verse verse 18. Jesus says. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And what Jesus was referring to was Peter's death. And church history tells us that Peter was crucified as well. He was crucified upon a cross, likely upside down, in persecution in Nero's Roman Empire. So Jesus is saying, look, I want you to help take care of my sheep. And I also want to let you know where that's going to lead you. It's going to lead you the same place it led me. It's going to lead you unto death. But between those two times, between these words of Jesus giving him this commission, and between his death on a cross, some amazing and great things happen. Soon after, on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter preached... The greatest sermon, really, in history. And that day at the altar call, you know how many people gave their lives to Christ? 3,000. 3,000 people came to faith that day on the day of Pentecost as Simon Peter was preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ had lived, he had died, and he had risen again. And then soon after, God gave him a vision. And he began to see that, that God's grace was not just for the Jewish people, but it was also for the Gentiles. All people were to be included. He, he laid hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit. He, he was able to, to make the lame walk again and he even prayed for a woman who was dead and she came back to life. You see, God chose and God used someone who was broken, someone who had failed, someone who had abandoned him, God was choosing and using this broken man to bring good news to the world. And it wasn't just Simon Peter that this happened with. It wasn't just him because because if you keep looking in Scripture, soon after, the disciples meet up with Jesus in Galilee and Jesus speaks some final words with him, known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And here's, here's what Jesus says to them. Well, starting in verse 17, it says this. When the disciples saw him, they worshipped him, right? Which is the appropriate response. But some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, always to the very end of the age. He tells them what's next. He says, what's next is my mission continues. My mission continues. And I don't know if you noticed here, uh, to me, the astounding part is, I, I, I mean, I'm very familiar with this passage. We preach it a lot because it is the mission of the church. But what gets me is in verse 17, when it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. And so here, these are the people who walked with Jesus. They knew he died. They encountered his resurrected body and his wounds. They worshipped him. But even so, some of them still doubted. And Jesus still includes them in his mission. Jesus still includes these people in his mission, the people who doubted. The people who were broken. The people who abandoned him when he was at his lowest moment in life, these people who Jesus had told them over and over again, hey, I'm gonna rise from the dead, they, they still didn't get it. Jesus was choosing and using these broken people to bring good news to a world that was desperately in need of it. And the good news for you and me this morning, church, is that God is still choosing and using broken people like you and me to continue His mission today. There is a place and there is a purpose for all of us in God's kingdom and in His continuing mission that continues after his resurrection. But I but I know how a lot of us think because I've I've thought this way a lot myself when when this idea is put forth that God wants to use me, God wants to use us to spread good news to the world, to spread his mercy, his grace, his joy, the most important message that there is. What happens is a lot of times we 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 like disqualify ourselves. So we think, you know what? Jesus, I know that's good for other people, but like I don't know a lot about the Bible. I don't even own a Bible. And I see some people come in here with like, you know, a briefcase full of Bibles to church each Sunday and like that's not me. Right? We think, you know what? I don't know the answers to everybody's questions. I can't. What am I supposed to do? Or we think, you know what? My faith is kind of weak. Like I have a lot of doubts. I'm I'm like the, these guys. I, I don't, I don't always know. Like so, I I know, I can't be used. Or we think that's good, but like Jonathan and others in the church, they don't know my past. They don't know what I've been through. They don't know what I've done. They don't know because I keep it a secret from everybody. So we say, you know what? I can't I can't be I can't be used. I mean, we we all say. In our own way, Jesus doesn't want to use people who blank. And we all fill in that blank with something that's unique to us. And Maybe right now you can even think of what's in your blank. We think Jesus, he, he wants to use people who are, who are super spiritual, who who have it all together, who, or who at least look like they have it all together. Like he, he wants to use people who've been in church their whole life. I'm new. This isn't, this isn't, you know what? Jesus doesn't want to use somebody like me to continue the most important mission in the world. But the truth is, is that Jesus isn't looking for, for super spiritual people, super holy people, people who have it all together. He's looking for people who are open and who are available to him. And when you are open and when you are available to God, He will begin using you. And as the Apostle Paul writes in Scripture, you will discover this, that God's grace is sufficient for you and that His power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says God's grace is sufficient for you. He will give you what you need when you need it. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. And so when you're weak, people see God's strength through you. When you mess up and you're a hypocrite and you have to repent and ask for forgiveness, people will see God's grace through you. And the Apostle Paul who wrote those words, I mean, he, he knows because this is Paul's story. Paul was somebody who persecuted the church. He did, he did terrible things to Christians and then he encountered the resurrected Christ and everything changed. And when he was traveling around, you know what people were thinking about Paul? They were thinking, wow, like, only God could change this dude because he was a wreck. And like, if God can change him, maybe God can change my cousin. Maybe God can change me, right? This was his story. This was the story of of the woman at the well. You might remember this earlier in John's gospel. Jesus comes to her and there's this revelation that She's had a lot of husbands, and the guy she's currently with Ed and her husband, and even so, after she encounters Jesus, she goes to her village, she tells other Samaritans about this man who is able to give water that satisfies deep down, water that satisfies our eternal cravings, and they all come to faith through her witness. This is the story of of so many people in in, in this church and in other churches I've served who are in recovery. People who have experienced God's grace and His transforming power and then what do they do? They, They go to other people who are caught in the grip of addiction and they're able to share good news and say, look at my life. Look at what God has done in and through me. He can do the same through you. This is Moses' story. You might remember Moses had a history. He had killed somebody, and then God calls him years later to lead another very important mission: lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And and you know what Moses says to God? He says, "God, like, not me." I think you have the wrong person. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm, 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 I'm a stutterer. I, I don't, I'm not good with words. Like, this isn't the mission for me. You need to find somebody else. And God says to him, you know what? I'll be with you. I'll be with you and I'll give you what you need when you need it. This is my story. God wants this to be your story. This is also the story of a of a campus pastor I had in college named Dustin. And Dustin, he, my sophomore year, was sent to Furman University where I went to school to lead the campus ministry I was a part of there. And I think if Dustin were to fill in his blank, he probably would have said, Jesus doesn't want to use people like me. And not because he he had some sin, like some terrible thing he'd done or anything like that. I I think he would have said it because he said... Jesus, he doesn't want to use people like me who have learning disabilities. Because God had called him to preach and to share the good news with college students on university campuses. And he had trouble trouble with, with reading and, and writing and public speaking and all this stuff. And so I'm sure he was thinking, you know what? God using somebody like me, like that's, that's a lot. But God was with him. And God gave him what he needs needed when he needed it. And so the first sermon I ever remember him preaching, he, he came up to the podium and he had a three inch tall three ring binder. You know what I'm talking about, the chunky ones. It was a binder this big and it was full of paper. And we were all thinking as college students, this is going to be a long sermon. <laughs> and so he opened it up. He got to the first page and he read a sentence. And then he flipped the page and he read another sentence. And he flipped the page and he read another sentence. And what we discovered was that there was about 300 pages in this binder. And there was only one sentence written on each page in about 120 size font. You see, he had, he had trouble kind of with reading and comprehension. And so he, he began flipping through. And so the whole sermon, he's just flipping page after page, reading it in the notebook. And I remember sitting there thinking as a college student what in the world is going on here? Like, this is gonna be completely distracting. I don't, I don't, like, I don't know about this. But each week he would get up there with his big notebook and he would read a sentence on each page and he'd flip it and he'd go through all 300 pages. And after some time, I realized exactly what was happening there. God was using and God had chosen him to preach good news to college students like me. And friends, what I want you to know this morning is that God is choosing and he's using you. He wants you to say, I'm open, I'm available. He wants you, after Easter, after his resurrection, to share his good news with a world who is desperately in need of it. And this morning, like, this isn't, this isn't a volunteer recruitment sermon. We have, we have places we need volunteers in our church, you know. Children's ministry, student ministry, Sunday morning, various places. But but I'm not, I'm not trying to recruit you for a position. What I'm trying to do is to share with you about Jesus' mission, his mission of what comes next. He says, I want you, people who believe in me, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission He's entrusted to the church, and it takes all of us. It takes all of us with all of our unique gifts, all of our unique abilities, all of our unique experiences, all of our tragic experiences, all of our brokenness, all of our addiction, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of it placed into the hands of Christ. It takes all of us. And so, this morning, I don't know exactly where God is calling you. What disqualifications you need to set to the side? And there might be somebody in here this morning who, who's felt called to ministry, and for years you've said, "Not me. I couldn't. I couldn't do that." But God is calling you. And he just wants you to say yes. I mean, maybe you have a neighbor, a neighbor you've been afraid to strike up a conversation about Jesus with, because you think, "I don't. I don't know the. I don't know the answers." And, they have a tough life. I can't, I can't answer why bad things happen. Like maybe that's you and Jesus is saying, just go. I'll give you what you need when you need it. Maybe there's somebody in your school or in your workplace. Maybe it's your family. A lot of times our families are, are, are the hardest places to reach and to share Jesus with. Because we have those relationships and, and Jesus is saying to you this morning, I want you to to risk the awkwardness. I'll give you what you need when you need it. I will be with you. So, this morning, as we close our service, I invite you to just surrender, surrender to God whatever you feel like is holding you back from living out this mission He has entrusted to the church. And to say, Holy Spirit, would you show me how you want to use me in these days, weeks, and months and years ahead? After Easter. So, would you bow your heads and and pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and meet each of us this morning. Meet us in the stillness of our hearts, speak to us, help us hand over our guilt, our shame. Help us hand over our inadequacies, all those those reasons we we feel like you're ashamed of us. Like Peter, help us to feel your love and your grace. We know you're calling us. And so Spirit, we ask that you would would speak, that you would move in our hearts because you don't want us to, to, to be stagnant. You're calling us to go out you empower us with your grace and with your spirit today. In Christ's name, amen.